Part three of Myths and Legends of the Great Plains by Catherine Barry Judson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The race between Hummingbird and Crane, Cherokee. Hummingbird and Crane were both in love with a pretty woman. She liked Hummingbird, who was handsome. Crane was ugly, but he would not give up the pretty woman. So at last, to get rid of him, she told them they must have a race, and that she would marry the winner. Now Hummingbird flew like a flash of light, but Crane was heavy and slow. The birds started from the woman's house to fly around the world to the beginning. Hummingbird flew off like an arrow. He flew all day, and when he stopped to roost he was far ahead. Crane flew heavily, but he flew all night long. He stopped at daylight at a creek to rest. Hummingbird waked up and flew on again, and soon he reached a creek, and behold, there was Crane, spearing tadpoles with his long bill. Hummingbird flew on. Soon Crane started on, and flew all night as before. Hummingbird slept on his roost. Next morning Hummingbird flew on, and Crane was far, far ahead. The fourth day Crane was spearing tadpoles for dinner when Hummingbird caught up with him. By the seventh day Crane was a whole night's travel ahead. At last he reached the beginning again. He stopped at the creek and preened his feathers, and then in the early morning went to the woman's house. Hummingbird was far, far behind. But the woman declared she would not marry so ugly a man as Crane. Therefore she remained single. Rabbit and the Turkeys, Omaha Rabbit was going somewhere. At length he reached a place where there were wild turkeys. Come, said Rabbit, I will sing dancing songs for you. Turkeys went to him, saying, Ho, ho, Rabbit will sing dancing songs for us. When I sing for you, you larger ones must go around the circle next to me. Beware, lest you open your eyes. Should one of you open his eyes, your eyes shall be red, said Rabbit. Then he began to sing. Alas for the gazer, eyes red, eyes red, spread out your tails, spread out your tails. Whenever a large turkey came near, Rabbit seized it and put it in his bag. While he was putting in a turkey, another one opened his eyes a little and exclaimed, Why, he has captured nearly all of us large ones. Off they all flew with a whirring sound. Rabbit took home those he had in his bag, saying to his grandmother, Do not look at what is in the bag. I have brought it home on my back, and I wish you to guard it. Then he went out to cut spits on which to roast the turkeys. When the old woman was alone, she thought, What could he have brought home on his back? So she untied the bag, and when she looked in, out flew the turkeys, hitting their wings hard against the grass lodge and flying out the smoke hole. The old woman barely killed one by hitting it. At length Rabbit came home. Oh, I have inflicted a severe injury on my grandchild, she said. Really, he answered. Grandmother, I told you not to look at it. But that is why turkeys have red eyes. Unktomi and the Bad Songs, Dakota Unktomi was going along. His way lay along by the side of a lake. Out on the lake there were a great many ducks, geese, and swans swimming. When Unktomi saw them, he went backward out of sight, and, picking some grass, bound it up in a bundle. He placed this on his back, and so went again along by the side of the lake. Unktomi, what are you carrying? asked the ducks and geese and swans. These are bad songs I am carrying, said Unktomi. The ducks said, Unktomi, sing for us. 
Unktomi replied, but the songs are very bad. But the ducks insisted upon it. Then Unktomi said, make a grass lodge. So they went to work and made a large grass lodge. Now let all the ducks, geese, and swans gather inside the lodge, and I will sing for you, said Unktomi. So all the ducks and geese and the swans gathered inside and filled the grass lodge. Then Unktomi took his place at the door of the lodge and said, If I sing for you, no one must look, for that is the meaning of the song. And then he began to sing, Dance with your eyes shut, if you open your eyes, your eyes shall be red, your eyes shall be red. When he said and sang this, the geese, ducks, and swans danced with their eyes shut. Then Unktomi rose up and said, I even even I follow in my own, I even even I follow in my own. So they all gabbled as they danced, and Uktomi danced among them, commenced twisting off the necks of the fattest of the geese and ducks and swans. But when he tried to twist off the neck of a large swan and could not, he only made him squawk. Then a small duck, called Skiska, partly opened his eyes. He saw Unktomi try to break the swan's neck, and he made an outcry. Look ye, look ye, Unktomi will destroy us all. Look ye, look ye. At once they all opened their eyes and attempted to go out, but Unktomi threw himself in the doorway and tried to stop them. They rushed upon him with their feet and wings and smote him and knocked him over, walking on his stomach and leaving him as though dead. Then Unktomi came to life and got up and looked around. But they said that the wood duck, which looked first, had his eyes made red. Then Unktomi gathered up the ducks and geese and swans he had killed and carried them on his back. He came to a river and traveled along by the side of it till he came to a long straight place where he stopped to boil his kettle. He put all the ducks and geese and swans whose necks he had twisted into the kettle and set it on fire to boil, and then he lay down to sleep. As he lay there, curled up on the bank of the river, he said, Mionze, familiar spirit, if anyone comes, you wake me up. So he slept. Now a mink came paddling along on the river, and coming close to Unktomi's boiling place, he saw him lying fast asleep. Then he went there. While Unktomi slept, he took out all the boiling meat and ate it up, putting the bones back into the kettle. Then Unktomi waked up. He sat up and saw no one. Perhaps my boiling is cooked for me, he said. He took the kettle off the fire. He poked a stick into it and found only bones. Then he said, Indeed, the meat has all fallen off. So he took a spoon and dipped it out. Nothing was there but bones. This is the story of Unktomi and the Bad Songs. How the Pheasant Beat Corn, Cherokee once pheasant saw a woman beating corn in a wooden mortar in front of her lodge. I can do that too, said pheasant. I don't believe you, said the woman. Yes, I can, said pheasant. So pheasant went into the woods behind the lodge. He flew to a hollow log and drummed with his wings until the people thought he really was beating corn. That is why the Indians have the pheasant's dance as a part of the green corn dance. Why the Turkey Gobbles Cherokee. In the old days, Grouse had a good voice and Turkey had none. Therefore, Turkey asked Grouse to teach him. But Grouse wanted pay, so Turkey promised to give him some feathers for a collar. That is how the Grouse got his collar of turkey feathers. So the Grouse began to teach Turkey. 
At last Grouse said, Now you must try your voice. You must halloo. Turkey said, Yes. Grouse said, I'll stand on this hollow log, and when I tap on it, you must halloo as loud as you can. So Grouse climbed upon a log, ready to tap on it, but when he did so, Turkey became so excited that when he opened his mouth he only said, Gobble, gobble, gobble. That is why the turkey gobbles whenever he hears a noise. Omaha Beliefs Omaha Song was an integral part of Omaha life. Through song the Omaha approached the mysterious Wakoda. Through song he voiced his emotions, both individual and social. Through song he embodied feelings and aspirations that eluded expression in words. In one of their ceremonies, the Wawa, to sing for somebody, songs are one of the chief characteristics. In this ceremony the eagle is mother. She calls to her nestlings, and upon her strong wings she bears the message of peace. Peace and its symbol, the clear, cloudless sky, are the theme of the principal songs. The curlew, in the early morning, stretches its neck and its wings as it sits on the roost and utters a long note. The sound is considered an indication that the day will be cloudless. Green represents the verdure of the earth. Blue is the color of the sky. Red is the color of the sun, typifying life. The eagle is the bird of tireless strength. The owl represents night, and the woodpecker the day and sun. These two birds also stand for life and death. Wakoda gives to man the sunshine, the clear sky from which all storms, all clouds, are absent. In the Wawa ceremony, they stand for peace. In this connection, black storm clouds with their thunder and lightning are emblematic of war. Pawnee Beliefs Pawnee at the creation of the world, lesser powers were made because Tirawatris, the mighty power, could not come near to man or be seen or felt by him. These lesser powers dwelt in the great circle of the sky. One is North Star, another is Brown Eagle. The winds were the first of the lesser powers to come near man. Therefore, when man calls for aid, he calls first to the winds. They stand at the four points and guard the four paths down which the lesser powers come when they help mankind. The winds are always near us, by day and by night. The sun is one of these powers. It comes from the mighty power above. Therefore it has great strength. Mother Earth is another power. She is very near to man. From her we get food. Upon her we lie down. We live and walk on her. We could not exist without Mother Earth, without sun, and without the winds. Water is another lesser power. Water is necessary to mankind. Fire made by rubbing two sticks together is sacred. It comes direct from the power granted Toharu, vegetation, in answer to man's prayer as he rubs the sticks. When the flame leaps from the glowing wood, it is the word of the fire. The power has come near. Blue is the color of the sky, the dwelling place of Tera, Waut, the circle of powers which watch over man. As a man paints the blue stick, he sings. Red is the color of the sun, green is the color of Mother Earth. Eagle is the chief of day, owl is chief of the night, woodpecker is chief of the trees, duck is chief of the water. The ear of corn represents the supernatural power that dwells in the earth, which brings forth the food that sustains life. 
There corn is spoken of as a tira, mother breathing forth life. The power which dwells in the earth, which enables it to give life to all growing things, comes from above. Therefore in the hako, the Pawnee ceremony, the ear of corn is painted with blue. The wild cat was made to live in the forest. He has much skill and ingenuity. The wild cat shows us we must think, must use tact, must be shrewd when we set out to do anything. The wild cat is one of the sacred animals. Trees grow along the banks of the streams. We can see them at a distance, like a long line, and we can see the river glistening in the sunlight in its length. We sing to the river, and when we come nearer and see the water and hear it rippling along, then we sing to the water, the water that ripples as it runs. Hills are made by Tirawa. We ascend hills when we go away alone to pray. From the top of a hill we can look over the country to see if there are enemies in sight, or if any danger is near us. We can see if we are to meet friends. The hills help man, so we sing to them. A Song of Hospitality, Sue I am mashing the berries, I am mashing the berries. They say travelers are coming on the march, they say travelers are coming on the march. I stir the berries round, I stir them around, I take them up with a spoon of buffalo horn, I take them up with a spoon of buffalo horn, and I carry them, I carry them to the strangers, and I carry them, I carry them to the strangers. Word comes that travelers are approaching, on the march with their children, dogs, and household property. She stirs them around with a spoon of buffalo horn, and goes to offer them to the strangers. The translation is an exact paraphrase of the rhythmic repetition of the original. A Song of the March Sue. Now set up the teepee, now set up the teepee, round the bottom, round the bottom, drive in the pegs, drive in the pegs, in the meantime I shall cook, in the meantime I shall cook. To those who know the Indian life, it brings up a vivid picture of a prairie band on the march halting at noon or in the evening. As soon as the halt is called, by some convenient stream, the women jump down and release the horses from the travois in the olden times, and hobble them to prevent them from wandering away. Then, while some of the women set up the teepee poles, draw the canvas over them, and drive in the pegs around the bottom and the wooden pins up the side, other women take axes and buckets and go down to the creek for wood and water. When they return, they find the teepees set up and the blankets spread out on the grass, and in a few minutes fires are built and the meal is in preparation. Song of the Prairie Breeze, Kiowa That wind, that wind, shakes my teepee, shakes my teepee, and sings a song for me, and sings a song for me. To the familiar, this little song brings up pleasant memories of the prairie camp when the wind is whistling through the teepee poles and blowing the flaps about, while inside the fire burns bright and the song and the game go round. Old Woman Who Never Dies Mandan In the sun lives the Lord of Life, in the moon lives the old woman who never dies. She has six children, three sons and three daughters. These live in the sky. The eldest son is the day, another is the sun, another is night. The eldest daughter is the morning star, called the woman who wears a plume. Another is a star which circles around the polar star, and she is called the striped gourd. 
The third is Evening Star. Every spring, old woman who never dies sends the wild geese, the swans, and the ducks. When she sends the wild geese, the Indians plant their corn, and old woman who never dies makes it grow. When eleven wild geese are found together, the Indians know the corn crop will be very large. The swans mean that the Indians must plant gourds, the ducks that they must plant beans. Indians always save dried meat for these wild birds, so when they come in the spring they may have a corn feast. They build scaffolds of many poles, three or four rows, and one above the others. On this they hang the meat. Then the old women in the village, each one with a stick, meet around the scaffold. In one end of the stick is an ear of corn. Sitting in a circle, they plant their sticks in the ground in front of them. Then they dance around the scaffolds while the old men beat the drums and rattle the gourds. Afterwards, the old women in the village are allowed to eat the dried meat. In the fall, they hold another corn feast after the corn is ripe. This is so that old woman who never dies may send the buffalo herds to them. Each woman carries the entire corn stalk with the ears attached, just as it was pulled up by the roots. Then they call on old woman who never dies and say, Mother, pity us. Do not send the cold too soon, or we may not have enough meat. Mother, do not let the game depart so that we may have enough for winter. In the fall, when the birds go south to old woman, they take back the dried meat hung on the scaffolds, because old woman is very fond of it. Old woman who never dies has large patches of corn, kept for her by the great stag and by the white-tailed stag. Blackbirds also help her guard her corn patches. The corn patches are large, therefore the old woman has the help also of the mice and the moles. In the spring, the birds go north, back to old man who never dies. In the olden times, old woman who never dies lived near the little Missouri. Sometimes the Indians visited her. One day twelve came, and she offered them only a small kettle of corn. They were very hungry, and the kettle was very small. But as soon as it was empty, it at once became filled again, so all the Indians had enough to eat. Legend of the Corn, Arikara The Arikara were the first to find the maize. A young man went out hunting. He came to a high hill. Looking down a valley, he saw a buffalo bull near where two rivers joined. When the young man looked to see how he could kill the buffalo, he saw how beautiful the country was. The banks of the two rivers were low with many trees. The buffalo faced the north, therefore he could not get within bowshot of him. He thought he could wait until the buffalo moved close to the banks of one of the rivers, or to a ravine where there were bushes and shrubs, so the young man waited. The sun went down before the buffalo moved. Nearly all night the hunter lay awake. He had little food. He felt sorry he could not reach the buffalo. Before the sun rose, he hurried to the top of the hill. The buffalo stood just where it had, but it faced the east. Again he waited for it to move. He waited all day. When the sun went down, the buffalo still stood in the same place. Nearly all night the young man lay awake. He had very little food indeed. The next morning he rose early and came to the top of the hill just as the sun came up. The buffalo was still standing in the same place, but now it faced the south. He waited all day, and then the sun went down. 
Now the next morning when he rose early, the buffalo stood in the same place. This time it faced the west. All day the young man waited, but the buffalo did not move. Now the young man thought, why does not the buffalo move? He saw it did not drink, did not eat, did not sleep. He thought some power must be influencing it. Now the next morning the young man hurried to the top of the hill. The sun had risen and everything was light. The buffalo was gone. Then he saw where the buffalo had stood there was a strange bush. He went to the place. Then he saw it was a plant. He looked for the tracks of the buffalo. He saw where it had turned to the east and to the south and to the west. In the center there was one track. Out of it the small plant had grown. There was no track to show where the buffalo had left the place. Then the hunter hurried to his village. He told the chiefs and the people of the strange buffalo and the plant. So all the chiefs and the people came to the place. They saw the tracks of the buffalo as he had stood, but there were no tracks of his coming or going. So all the people knew that Wakoda had given this strange plant to the people. They knew of other plants they might eat. They knew there was a time when each plant was ripe. So they watched the strange plant. They guarded it and protected it. Then a flower appeared on the plant. Afterwards, at one of the joints, a new part of the plant pushed out. It had hair. At first the hair was green, and then it was brown. Then the people thought, perhaps this fruit is ripe. But they did not dare touch it. They met together. They looked at the plant. Then a young man said, My life has not been good. If any evil comes to me, it will not matter. So the people were willing, and the young man put his hand on the plant, and then on its fruit. He grasped the fruit boldly. He said to the people, It is solid. It is ripe. Then he pulled apart the husks and said, It is red. He took a few of the grains and showed them to the people. He ate some. He did not die. So the people knew Wakoda had sent this plant to them for food. Now in the fall, when the prairie grass turned brown, the leaves of this plant turned brown also. Then the fruit was plucked and put away. After the winter was over, the kernels were divided. There were four to each family. Then the people moved the lodges to the place where the plant had grown. When the hills became green, they planted the seed of the strange plant, but first they built little mounds like the one out of which it grew. So the fruit grew and ripened. It had many colors, red and yellow and white and blue. Then the next year there were many plants and many ears of corn. So they sent to other tribes. They invited them to visit them and gave them of the new food. Thus the Omahas came to have corn. Tradition of the Finding of Horses Ponca Long ago the people followed the Missouri River northward to a place where they could step over the water. Then they turned and were going across the land. Then they met the Paducah, Comanche. At that time the Ponca had no animals but dogs to help them carry burdens. Wherever they went they had to go on foot, but the people were strong and fleet. They could run a great distance and not be weary. One day, when they were hunting buffalo, they met the Paducah. Then they had many battles with them. The Paducah were mounted on strange animals. At first the Ponca thought it was all one animal. The Paducah had bows made from elk horn. They were not very long, nor were they very strong. They boiled the horn until it was soft. Then they scraped it and bound it together with sinews and glue. 
their arrows were tipped with bone they fought also with a stone battle-axe the handle was a sapling a grooved stone axe head pointed at both ends was fastened to this with rawhides so the paducah were terrible fighters they protected their horses with a covering of thick rawhide cut in round pieces and put together like fish scales they spread glue over the outside and then sand so when the comanches fought the arrows of their enemies glanced off the horse's armor then the paducah made breastplates for themselves like those of the horses when the ponca met these terrible warriors they were afraid they thought man and horse were one they named it kawa because they noticed the odor of the horse then they knew by this odor when the paducah were coming when a man smelled the horse he would run to the camp and say the wind tells us the kawa are coming then the ponca would make ready to defend themselves the ponca had many battles with the comanches they did not know how to use the animals so they killed the horses as well as the men neither could they find out where the paducah lived one day the two tribes had a great battle the people fought all day sometimes the ponca were driven back and sometimes the paducah then at last a ponca shot a paducah so that he fell from his horse then the battle ceased after this one of the paducah came toward the ponca and said in plain ponca who are you what do you call yourselves the ponca replied we call ourselves ponca you speak our language are you of our tribe the other said no i speak your language as a gift from a ponca spirit one day i lay on a ponca grave after a battle then a man rose from the grave and spoke to me so i know your language then it was agreed to make peace the tribes visited each other the ponca traded their bows and arrows for horses they knew where the paducah lived then the paducah taught the ponca how to ride and how to put burdens on the horses when the poncas had learned how to ride and had horses they went to war again they attacked the paducah in their own village they attacked them so many times and stole so many of their horses that at last the paducah fled we do not know where they went the ponca followed the platte river toward the rising sun then they came back to the missouri and they brought their horses with them dakota beliefs and customs dakota the dakotas have names for the natural divisions of time their years they count by winters a man is so many winters old or so many winters have passed since such an event when one goes on a journey he says he will be back in so many sleeps they have no division of time into weeks and their months are literally by moons the dakotas believe that when the moon is full a great number of small mice begin to nibble on one side they nibble until they eat up the entire moon so when the new moon begins to grow it is to them really a new moon the old one has been eaten up the dakota mother loves her baby as well as the white woman does hers when the spirit takes its flight a wild howl goes up from the tent the baby form is wrapped in the best buffalo calfskin or the best red blanket and laid away on a scaffold or on the branch of some tree there the mother goes with disheveled hair and oldest clothes the best ones having been given away and wails out her sorrow in the twilight wailing often until far into the cold night the nice kettle of hominy is prepared and carried to the scaffold where the spirit hovers for several days 
when the kettle has remained there long enough for the wanagi the spirit to inhale the food the little children of the village are invited to eat up the rest when a hunter dies the last act of the medicine man is to sing a song to conduct the spirit over the wanagi takamku the spirit road as the milky way is called the friends give away their good clothes they wear ragged clothes with bare feet and ashes on their hands both within and without the lodge there is a great wailing misinski Machinsky, my son my son is the lamentation in dakota land as it was in israel the dead hunter is wrapped in the most beautifully painted buffalo robe or in the newest red and blue blanket young men are called and feasted and their duty is to carry the body away and place it on a scaffold for the dead remain not long in the teepee in more recent times they bury it the custom of burial immediately after death however was not a dakota custom the spirit did not bid farewell to the body for several days after death and so the body was laid on a high scaffold or in some tree crotch where it would have a good view of the surrounding country and also be safe from wolves why the tetons bury on scaffolds teton in the olden days the people buried some men on a hill then they removed their camp to another place many winters afterwards a man visited the hill but there were no graves there so he told the people then many men came and dug far down into the hill by and by a man said there is a road here there they found a road a tunnel large enough for men to walk stooping other roads were there they followed the first road and they came to a place where a strange animal had dragged the bodies of those who were buried in the hill therefore the people refused to bury their dead in the ground they buried them on scaffolds where the animals cannot reach them footnote at the present time the teton gives three reasons for not burying in the ground animals or persons may walk over the graves the dead might lie in mud and water after rain or snow wolves might trouble the bodies End footnote end of part three